The word of God for our meditation is found in Mark chapter 7. And since there are no pews out there, I presume there's no pew Bibles. So I hope you could all find Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. And I'll let you know when we skip to other verses. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For, uh, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? <clears throat> and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And now we skip down to verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And now down to verse 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. If you've had the privilege of going grocery shopping during the last couple months, you may identify with a man named Glenn, of whom I read recently. Glenn went to a grocery store, and just as he was about to put his hands on the shopping cart, he realized there were no alcohol wipes. And he didn't, didn't have his food handler gloves with him. So I said, well, I guess I got a hang, hand onto the cart. And with hand on the cart, he knew that he was probably infected. Said, well, as long as I don't touch my face, I should be okay. But as soon as he had that thought go through his mind, of course, it happened. An itch between his nose and his mouth. The two entry points of infection of the pandemic. And he said, well, I got to do something. So he wrinkled his nose, he pursed his lips, 
He tried to wipe the itch with his arm to no avail. So he said, I guess I got to do it. So he scratched the itch. But he said, as soon as I get home, I'll take care of it. So that's precisely what he did. And as he went home and washed his face and with alcohol wipes did all the proper things, his wife said to him, Glenn, what are you doing? He said, I'm preventing myself from getting infected. I don't want to get sick. And his dear wife lovingly but sarcastically said, Glenn, have you ever considered that maybe you are the source of the infection? You are the one who causes the trouble. It's not an outside-in thing, it's an inside-out thing. And Glenn said, that kind of set my thinking straight, that this infection is not so much from the outside, but very likely from my inside. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to convey to his listeners with this section of God's word. We think of the pandemic. And Tim is going to have a test in Greek coming up. And I should give him a quiz. <laughs> Tim, what is the meaning of pandemic? That's not fair, is it? No. <laughs> How about pan? Pan is like universal. Yes, pan is universal. Everybody. And demos, you know the word democracy? It means the rule of the people. A demos is people. So a pandemic is something which affects everybody, all people. And today we're going to think about the pandemic of sin and the solution. What is the solution? Anyone? We think of the panacea of salvation. And again, Tim, no. <laughs> A panacea is what? A cure all. Again, pan all, and acacia, which is cure. So today we're going to look at the pandemic of sin and the panacea of salvation. And we're going to see that the pandemic of sin is basically an inside-out problem. As Jesus shares with his disciples, that the source of evil is the heart which is within. Now when Jesus talks about the heart as being the source of the pandemic of sin, he's not talking about that little thing that pumps blood, but when the Greeks talked about the heart, they meant the real you, your intellect, your will, your conscience, the thing that makes you, you besides the bag of bones that helps carry you around. So Jesus says the heart is the source of these problems. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. And the word here 
is that people dialogue. Now, you remember the expression that if you have money in the bank, that indicates, or if you talk to yourself, that means you have money in the bank. That's an old statement. Well, whether or not you have money in the bank, the truth is that we're always dialoguing, at least when we're awake, we are talking to ourselves. And maybe right now some of you in the um, heat stroke section are saying, how long is he going to talk? <laughs> you may be dialoguing. But the fact is that there's so much dialoguing going on within and that leads to words and also leads to actions. And what are these words and actions of which Jesus speaks? Well, he lists 12 of them. And again, with mercy to you out there in the hot zone, we're not going to look at all 12 this morning. That might be a topic for a Bible study. Do you remember the book that we had about acceptable sins? Well, here are 12 unacceptable sins. But let's take a look at just a few. Jesus says, out of the heart come, first of all, sexual sins. And a little reflection on that helps us to look at some real pandemics going on in our world today. For example, the, por the pandemic of pornography. It is estimated that in a typical Christian congregation, 68% of the men are somehow being influenced by pornography. And it causes a chemical reaction in the brain and leads to a horrible addiction, which destroys so many things, including relationships. There's a Christian program helping people deal with pornography that may be something Milford Bible Church could consider to offer to the community. Sexual sins. There's also the, the whole matter of accepting lifestyles which are contrary to God's word. It's probably in, politically incorrect for me to say this, but so what? The epidemic of accepting homosexuality is something which sadly is seen in so many areas of life. When I was a pastor in Connecticut, I had a member whose son got into the gay lifestyle and subsequently died of AIDS. Out of respect for the mother, I attended the funeral in a large mainline denomination church in Hartford. And the minister to the gay community got up to preach the sermon. He had an open Bible on the pulpit, and his message started with this. We certainly don't want to hear Moses. And absolutely we don't want to hear the Apostle Paul. So he closed the Bible and said, well, let's just talk. Open defiance to the Word of God and what it says on this issue. Next, Jesus talks about murder. 
And how sad it is that since the death of George Floyd, we've seen in large cities like Chicago and New York explosive percentages of increase in murder. And people say, well, it's all because of the pandemic. It's because people are unemployed. It's because people don't have anything else to do. Making excuses for that which really is something that comes from the evil heart of mankind. And we might sit here today in the shade or in the sun and say, thank God I'm not a murderer. But remember what Jesus said about whoever hates his brother is a what? Whoops. And no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And I must confess that I stand before you as a murderer. I've shared the story with some of you. I had a midlife crisis, one of many, a couple years ago. And I just needed to have this 1934 Ford two-door sedan, which was our family car when I was a kid. So as an idiot, and I underline the word idiot, I bought one sight unseen from South Carolina. It came... And being OCD as I am, I noticed that the hood had a wave in it, which meant this car had been in an accident. So I bought a hood from a guy in California. Yeah, you're laughing. Be careful, it might happen to you. And the deal was, if there's something wrong with this hood, can I send it back to you for a refund? He said, of course you can. What did Barnum say? There's one born every second. So the hood came to me. It was in worse shape than the wavy one I had. So I said, well, no problem. I'll send it back. A couple days later, it came back to me. And I called the guy in California and said, what's the deal? You said, if there's something wrong, I can send it back. Well, you didn't send it back soon enough. And I knew that I was had. And in my heart, I was not praying for God's blessings upon this man. <laughs> to make matters worse, a couple days later, an earthquake hit California right in the city where this guy lived. And I'm ashamed to say that my initial reaction was, yes! <laughs> I have repented since. So Jesus says the problem is not out there, but it's in here, right? Then we have the matter of theft. Can any one of us say that we've never been guilty of theft? We finally got through the tax season. Was everything you said to Uncle Sam above board? Or we think about the question that God asked in, in the book of Malachi. Will man rob God? And the people asked, well, what do you mean will we rob God? And God said, yes, in tithes and offerings. So we asked the question, in our financial response, are we honoring the Lord or is there maybe some fudging going on? 
Well, let's continue because I see you guys are wilting out there. Jesus also mentions deceit. And that refers to any kind of avoiding the truth in so many situations. Now, one of the things that we pastors are told not to do is to use our children as sermon illustrations. But I'll make a deal with you. My kids aren't here today, so if I tell a story, just don't say anything to them when you see them. Well, years ago, I think it was when they were about five and three, I caught one of our kids doing something that <clears throat> she wasn't supposed to. There was a candy box. And that candy box was not to be gotten into until a certain time. On this particular day, I walked into wherever the box was, and there she was with a piece of candy in her hand. And I said, oh, what's going on? Well, she took the candy and said, well, I think there's a piece of hair on it, and I was just going to take it off. <laughs> I said, right. And so it became a proverb in our family. Whenever somebody was kind of being deceitful about truth, we would ask the question, is that hair on candy? Yeah. So deceit, not facing or telling the truth. We go on to another one. How about envy? Do we say that I've never been envious? Well, again, I got to pick on one of our kids. There was a day when we were visiting my parents, and my mother was a trained deaconess from Germany. And part of their training was to become almost Austrian pastry chefs. And so my mother made these killer cream puffs. They were delicious. They weren't always the same size because these were not cookie cutter cream puffs. Some were bigger, some were smaller. And so as we sat down for enjoying these things, one of our kids looked at the plate of her sister and she noticed that the sister's cream puff was larger than the one that she had gotten. So my mother said, or my, my daughter said to my mother, you know, Oma, I think before we serve these cream puffs, we should weigh them. <laughs> and so another proverbial statement came into our family whenever somebody got a little bit jealous that they got the disease of uh, I got the end of the short stick-itis, that the question would be raised, are you weighing cream puffs? Okay. Envy. Finally, the one that we're going to look at is abusive speech. And oh, remember what James says about the tongue. It's like a fire. It's like a rudder. And it's like so many things that we can't control. And how often do we get caught with sins of slander? We talk about somebody, not to lift them up, not to praise God for them, but to talk about them. And we fail the three tests, which are always a good test before we open our yaps about somebody. We ask the question, 
is what we're about to say the truth? Well, there are a lot of things that are truth, but don't need to be told. The second question, is it necessary for us to talk about this person? And thirdly, the question, is what I'm about to say, is it kind? So is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And I must confess, I often have failed that test. But now we say, how do we deal with this pandemic of sin? Well, there are many different ways, just a couple. One is denial. Perhaps you've talked to people about sin, and they say, well, that's something that the church cooked up to make people feel bad. Or I remember one incident when I shared the gospel with a lady, with our evangelism team, and we got through the, you know, the, the law shows us our sin, and we explained that to her, and she said, well, it's, it's very nice that you're telling me all this, but I've got news for you. I have never sinned. I was tempted to say, and I should have had the presence of mind, lady, if you've never sinned, congratulations, you've just done the first one. You've called God a liar. Because what does God say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or there's the do-it-yourself project to kind of make up for your sins to be in the choir, to be all kinds of things in the church where you say, well, maybe this will make up for what's wrong in my life. And of course, those are not cures for the pandemic. The pandemic is cured only with the panacea of salvation. And that's what we sang about before, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's a comfort to know that there are other applications of the word pan to the pandemic and to the panacea. The pan also refers to the fact that God's cure for our sin is for everybody. It's for all. Just as all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so the blood of Jesus covers all of our transgressions. And perhaps there are some listening today who say, yeah, God forgives sins, but if, he, if God knew what I did, he would never forgive me. And if that's a burden you're carrying around today, be assured that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from what? Some sins? All. Pan. All sins. Gordon read before from that beautiful chapter in Isaiah, chapter 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Yet the Lord laid on him, that suffering servant Jesus, the iniquity of us all, and with his stripes we are healed. That's panacea language. When you're sick, you want to get healed. From the pandemic of sin, we have God's cure, the blood of Jesus, and the faith that the Holy Spirit gives us to confess him as Savior and Lord.
In closing, I'd like to share with you the lyrics of a song that I heard some years ago that I pray describes the heart of each one of us here this morning. I think I'm getting a sunstroke. I forgot the lyrics. No. <laughs> This is horrible. What's the song? That's the problem. What's the <laughs> Okay. I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I make mistakes and often slip. Just simply flesh and bone. But I'll prove someday just what I say. I'm of a special kind. For when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. A look of love was on his face. Thorns were on his head. The blood ran down the scarlet robe and stained it crimson red. Though his eyes were on the crowd that day, he looked ahead in time. For when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He knew me, yet he loved me. He whose glory makes the heavens shine so unworthy of his mercy. Yet, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. With faith in Jesus, we can truly say and confess, it is well with my soul. <laughs>